Ocean Bites Out Loud is a podcast that brings the latest news in ocean science straight to you. Our goal is to summarize the most recent scientific articles for your listening pleasure, and to talk to up-and-coming ocean scientists who have new and interesting ideas to share with the world. We hope you enjoy and learn a little something along the way. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, this is... um a really cool opportunity, I think. That's something I've never done before. So. Yeah. So for our listeners, can you please say your name and your preferred pronouns? So my name is Natalia Gurgach, um, and my pronouns are she, her. Great. Thanks. So what are you currently researching? So my research right now for my master's is I'm basically looking at carbon leaching um, from marine plastic pollution um, on a global scale, so I'm basically using the UVic Earth System Climate Model um, to look at the sort of leaching um, from plastic. Basically, research has come out um, that has stated that uh, in the marine environment specifically, um, plastic has been leaching dissolved organic carbon and but we don't really know you know is this going to cause problems is it um leaching enough of that carbon to sort of um cause actual issues in terms of oceanic and atmospheric processes um so that's sort of what i'm trying to figure out that's awesome so can you tell me a little bit more about what you're trying to figure out with the dissolved organic carbon so why would more dissolved organic carbon be a bad thing in the oceans? It could be a number of things. Through um, air-sea exchange, um, basically if, if in the oceanic um, carbon pool, um, if there's more than you know is expected in the natural environment <clears throat> through air-sea exchange, we could have uh, we could be seeing increases in atmospheric carbon. Um, I'm also I'm looking at alkalinity. I'm looking at um, oxygen content. What a lot of the other um, sort of papers have um, published and what they discussed, they were talking about issues with um, microbes. Um, and if if there's um, overgrowth of these microbes or um, if there's changes in terms of timing of their growth, that could also um, be an issue. Um, so those are the, I mean, I'm not looking at the microbes, but I'm looking at the sort of um, atmospheric um, CO2 um, concentrations. Yeah, those sorts of atmospheric and ocean processes. Wow. So this has sounds like it has a really big tie into climate change as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so so definitely climate change, um, de- especially with what I'm saying about the atmospheric CO2 concentrations, that is definitely something that could be cause for concern. From what I'm seeing, basically, um, it's trivial. It's not, there's just not as much carbon being leached Um from the, these plastics, even I'm also looking at um, projected values of 
plastics because we know, you know, we're hearing all these stats about um, this much plastic is going to be in the ocean by, you know, 2040, 2050. So I'm so I'm sort of seeing what's going to happen in terms of atmospheric um, CO2 levels with all of this plastic. But from what I'm seeing, it is it is trivial for. um, Yeah, but definitely something that I think had to be answered and had to be looked at because, you know, it was a cause for concern. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's really good to take everything into account, especially when we're tackling as big a problem as climate change. Yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree. Yeah, it was. um, We're obviously looking at plastic, um, you know, in terms of uh, like incineration and production, how much how much CO2 is being produced from that. But this was sort of um, like a niche field, you know, if I want to call it that, that I didn't even think of. Like, you know what I mean? Like, who thinks what? Like plastic leaching carbon, but definitely something that, you know, if there's all this plastic um, that's in the marine environment, obviously it's leaching, you know, toxins and things like that. But if it's adding now... CO2 concentrations, like that's definitely something that has to be looked at. So I'm happy to be the one to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So what's maybe like the craziest thing you've learned while doing your your research or a fun fact that you want to share? This is maybe a fun, I don't know if it's a fun fact. It's kind of a sad fact. (laughs) Um, Not really to do with um, specifically my research, but definitely... um, a lot of the sort of preliminary plastic research that I've been doing. So um, I remember it was basically that, and this could be common knowledge, just not to me. The countries that produced the like the least amount of plastic were like so-called responsible for producing the most because other countries um, were basically are basically dumping it into that region. And then it's, you know, it's on those coasts that and they didn't even produce the plastic. You know what I mean? So it's just so, sort of like sad to see. And um, it's especially in it's being dumped in countries that don't have the infrastructure to manage it, you know, so it's just sad. But yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely something to be aware of as well. So we I think we should be reducing our plastic on both an individual scale and on a global scale. But a lot of these problems are tied into industry and lots of other uh, social and economic problems. So it sounds like you have a lot on your plate. Yeah, I mean, um, no, I I totally agree with you, like on the individual scale, but also it's, you know, it's hard to say um, exactly how this can be quote unquote like solved. You know what I mean? There's just so many elements to it, as there as with anything really. Um so I I do agree with you. It it's um the problem is on like a literally a global scale. Yeah. So how did you kind of get interested in this? It's as you said, a pretty niche field. So what kind of sparked your interest in the ocean and how did you get involved with microplastics and plastics in general so basically um i did so i did my undergrad in bio um back in ontario and there were not a lot of 
<laughs> not a lot of discussion about the ocean. It was very like forestry based, things like that. For the first few years, obviously, there are those required undergrad courses that we all have to take. So it was like cell bio and molecular bio. And um, and then one of them was ecology. And I was I d- was not expecting to be interested in it. Like I was very much into like human physiology and anatomy and all those things. And so I don't know why, but I it was literally like a complete 180. I start, started becoming super interested in like ecology and all that and I just found it easy to understand like for me personally and um and I honestly started just watching like documentaries um about you know plastic pollution and all these things and it sounds like the simplest thing but literally I just got so interested in it and I was like this is such a problem, like, this is a problem, obviously not something that we can solve on the individual scale, but it's something that each individual can, like, do a, the, the tiniest thing, even to bring awareness, you know, like, why, it, it almost seems obvious that we shouldn't be using, like, single-use plastics for, you know, toxins and all the other things that it's, um, that it's causing problems with obviously it has its useful its uses but it was just something I was like this is so interesting that we can literally do something about this because we're the ones using it and, and causing these these issues sort of so I got very interested in it um, and then I took a course in zoology that was so and that was probably my favorite course um and it was basically like the labs were they were so intense I remember it was like an evening lab and I was out here like dissecting like fish I, you know what I mean it was crazy but but I was like this is so cool like it just seemed so out of like out of place because obviously we're in Ontario right (laughs) um so yeah I was I knew that like after my undergrad I knew I had to do something in this field um and so I I really wanted to tie plastics into it especially when I came out here to do my master's and yeah I was fortunate enough to have supervisors that really supported me in that so Wow, what a what a journey! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm I'm glad you ended up here and working on a really timely issue. So, can you tell me a little bit more about like the program? What what does a normal day look like for you as a grad student? I'm fortunate enough, and I think I hope that other grad students can also sort of set their own schedules. Um, and so, basically, in the mornings, I tend to like run errands and things like that Uh, it depends obviously if I have meetings or if I'm TAing or things like that Um, but I sort of roll into school before noon on the bus and then (laughs) I yeah I work away in my little cubicle um, in the I'm on the third floor in the Bob Wright Center building and basically I'm either marking for my TAing I'm preparing for my um, my lab um, that I TA or I'm doing I'm working on my research which, which typically involves like as of right now I'm making plots and I'm taking 
basically making graphs from the data that I collected using the UVIC model. Um, and I'm also writing my methodology right now, which has been interesting. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really cool. It's really nice when you're able to set your own schedule. And I think it helps with productivity as well. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more? I'm curious about this UVIC model and a little bit about maybe how it works or there's a lot of coding, I'm sure, and you're making graphs and plots and trying to get all of the data kind of consolidated, if I'm understanding that yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, so so basically my supervisors are um, like are basically experts on this model. Um, have been using it since, oh, I don't know, I think I think I could be wrong, but like the first paper came out on it in 2001. Um, it's an Earth system climate model. Um, I'm not going to get into like the logistics of it because I'm still figuring that out for my methodology. But um, it has like an ocean component, an atmospheric component. Um, like there's a thermodynamic, dynamic ice, ice like sheet model. Um, so there's it's basically taking all of the sort of elements of, of the Earth into account um, recently, there's there was ocean sediment um, model that was sort of incorporated into that. So what I'm doing, I'm not writing any of the code. <laughs> I'm not writing any of the code, but I'm using the model. So what I'm doing basically is um, we created a mask to sort of um, be placed almost like on top of the model. I kind of think of it like a filter like a like a photo filter almost and so it's it's placed sort of um on top of like the map of the world and what i'm able to do is um as i mentioned previously studies have shown that plastic was leaching dissolved organic carbon but um with the limitations of the model basically it only measures um dissolved inorganic carbon um so basically it's a bit different but what i'm categorizing it i'm categorizing all carbon that's leached by this by plastic to be under dissolved inorganic carbon and so what i'm doing is i'm basically using this mask um, or this filter sort of to apply um, a dic flux so an input of dic um anywhere I want. So I'm inputting it into different oceans of the world to see what's happening. I'm also inputting it on the coast. And I basically get to, that's a super interesting thing with, with models is that I sit, I sit at my computer and it does the work for me for the next hundred years, you know, or 500 years. And I, um, it doesn't take as long as actually going out there and collecting the data myself. So, um, yeah, that's basically what I'm doing. I'm applying this, this sort of DIC flux and I'm seeing what is happening if I'm putting this much, you know, DIC um, into this area of the ocean. What's happening with um, atmospheric CO2, with ocean concentrations, with uh, like temperature, things like that. Yeah. Wow. It sounds like a really powerful tool for investigating not only your project, but also a lot of different aspects of the ocean. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Like, 
the the things that you can do, the the studies, the projects that can be done with the model, I imagine are, you know, endless. Like, it's so interesting. Um, like I said, such a great tool that I think a lot of work was put into to, to create. But, like, yeah, so useful, um, at least from my end. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering, it sounds like this is a, your project is really complex. Did you face any obstacles while you were doing your research or just throughout grad school? Is anything that you wanted to share? I don't know necessarily about my research. Like, I think everyone sort of has their own, you know, like, what am I doing? Like, I don't really know what's happening right now. Um, that's definitely something that I think everyone experiences. Personally, well, there are two things I would say. So first of all, it was like a very big shock for me to move from a bachelor's to a master's. And I don't know if this is just me or other grad students also experience this, but you're, the independence, it's, it's like, it's a shock. Like you are so independent. You obviously have your, your supervisors that are there um, to guide you but it's really it's your research and it's you set your schedule you set when things have to be done um, what has to be done you know what am I doing right now like what am I going to be doing for the next month right and during your undergrad you're basically told what to do when to do it you have deadlines like you know pretty much every day so you have no room to sort of be like what am I supposed to do right now, right? Because <laughs> everyone knows what they have to be doing. It's just a lot. Um, but during my master's, yeah, I was, I found myself sort of like, I don't know if I'm like on the right track. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? I know that I have to be independent, but also like I need help. Like I, I sort of need guidance, you know, or I need someone just tell me what to do, you know? Um, so that was that was a big shock and then also I'd say like imposter syndrome I think everyone from what I'm getting like everyone is experiencing it um especially in, in grad school and my yeah I remember just like a conversation I had with my prof back like at the beginning of the year I was like oh my gosh like I don't belong here like everyone here is so smart and I was just kind of like sitting like what am I going to be doing? Like, they're going to, you know, I think they always say like imposter syndrome is like, they're going to figure you out that you're actually, you don't, but you do not belong in your master's, in this master's program. But, um, I mean, I'm still here, right? And I'm still, I'm still um, sort of, you know, working away at my own pace. And that was something I had to get used to, that everyone has their own individual research and everyone's on their own little path and everyone's research is important in their own way. And yeah, that's those are the two sort of things I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing. And honestly, I think you're, you're right about imposter syndrome. It's I think most grad students at some point have experienced it. I've experienced it. I know a lot of other people in my department have experienced it. And even just yesterday doing the interview, person was like, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of imposter yeah. syndrome. And it's something that may go away, it may not go yeah. away. 
and just talking about it more i think is is really helpful yeah i i yeah that's definitely something that um i sort of came into the um i came into the program and everyone's already that's the thing like you don't often start at the same time you know like other programs it's like 100 people 50 people sort of all start at the same time and they build together but like yeah it's like with Matt with grad programs it's just like one student's going in and then it's literally a shock like everyone's already on their way they're they're working away you know they 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 know what they're doing and so it's hard to um like navigate through that um but yeah I think it definitely has to be spoken more about and I do appreciate um a lot of profs even have been like oh yeah like I still like profs who are have been doing this for you know 30 40 years or whatever um they still experiencing it still experience it so it's comforting but also it's life yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's life and I think that's a lot of the way that things are in academia also feeds into that as well so the more we talk about it the more we come together I think it'll be helpful yeah I totally agree is there anything that you're excited about coming up with your research in life stuff that you're just looking forward to in terms of my research like I'm I think I'm more nervous right now I don't know if I'm excited I'm excited to sort of I really like the writing aspect of some people really don't like it. I I really like it because for me, I guess it means like I know what to do. Like I know what I'm about to write about. I just have to get it done and and, you know, just sort of like hash it out. So I love um, I love the writing, the writing aspect of it. So that's definitely something I'm going to be working on. I as I mentioned, I'm doing my methodology. I'm writing that. Um, and then, you know, I'll I'll be writing up some of my results and things like that. Um, what I find like really exciting (laughs) and I feel like other, you know, scientists sort of also experienced this, but when I make, I've been using like MATLAB to, um, make plots because basically from the UVic model, like the quality of, of the graphs is just not good enough almost to it's just not you know there are better um, tools that we can use to produce plots so when I you know sort of like write the code for the plot and put in all my data and it just like light and I like press run and it <laughs> lights up in this like colorful thing and I get so excited because I'm like oh my gosh like I produced a plot like that's my data right there and it's just it helps that it's colorful, you know, <laughs> it really does. But um, yeah, that those sort of sort of like little things make me excited that it's kind of all coming together. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like a really good feeling as well. Like I've only done very basic plots for mine with really preliminary data. But yeah. that feeling when you're just like you see something and yeah. it's there and yeah. it's yours. Exactly. Yeah, wow. it's yours. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like I did that. Like <laughs> it's small. But I did that. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you have a lot of good skills based on what you've been doing. Is there anything you've thought about career wise after graduation? 
obviously a PhD is the next step in terms of academia. Um, I just don't know. Yeah, it's a big commitment. That's the thing. It's it's a very big commitment. Um, yeah, definitely something I am going to have to think about. Either really a PhD, um, the other sort of areas that you could go I could go into really are you know working in industry as well I know there are a lot of jobs um out there that you know could use the skills that I have but yeah in terms of of, um sort of deciding um my prof uh, my supervisor has been nice enough (laughs) to say that you know he's gonna sit down with me and we're gonna sort of figured out together and he's going to help me with the next step which I'm I hope that other supervisors do with their profs or sorry with their students because um yeah like what do you sort of do after this there's lots of jobs that sort of you know if you go to med school more likely than not you're you're going to be a doctor right if you go to law school you're you're going to be a lawyer you know like other sort of you know if you're going to nursing school, you're going to be a nurse more 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 likely than not. So there's just um, it's sort of a blessing, but also it's sort of difficult going to grad school. There are so many options, but it's like okay, but which one? Which one's best for me? Right. <laughs> so yeah, um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, and it's it is a really big decision. So I mean, I think taking time to figure it out. And it's awesome that your advisor is willing to sit down with you and talk about it because, you know, they're just wells of experience. Yeah, they are. That's, <laughs> yeah, they definitely know, like, I can all, I'm always like thinking, like sitting in my head, I'm just sort of like, well, this could be better, but this could be better. But then I'm like, why don't I just wait? Because we all know who, <laughs> we all know that my supervisor actually knows sort of, you know, they know the industry, they know the job market almost right like they know what the next steps are they've been through it as well they know what it looks like so yeah they really are um the experts in, in that sort of thing yeah and it's always just good to have a conversation as well to manage expectations and just think about the future yeah i i totally agree yeah before we wrap up is there anything else that you wanted to share any advice that you have for our listeners out there or just awesome ocean stuff (laughs) um in terms of like advice I guess grad school it if you're in grad school it's been a year for it has not felt like a year um I don't know about you but it's felt like shorter for me I can't believe it's already been a year. Like I'm like more than halfway done as of right now. And I'm just like, um, okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't know if I'm like an expert uh, on, you know, being a grad student. It's literally only been a year. But I do think that everyone sort of has their own path. And everyone's, you know, like, one thing I realized always that I always sort of had to remind myself was like you're already in it like I'm already here I'm already like a year done right so I do belong here we all belong here you know wherever we are we belong there because we were somehow there you know what I mean so 
so yeah, I just think that um, we all sort of need to like remind ourselves that um, wherever we are is where we're sort of meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. And like you said, it's it doesn't feel like it's been a year, but we're still here yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we're still working and we're doing it and, you know, we're making progress, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. But yeah, yeah, I think we absolutely belong here. And it is really good to remind ourselves of that sometimes on a daily basis, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for being here. I really enjoyed talking to you and hopefully our listeners also enjoyed listening to you talk about your research. I hope so, too. Yeah, this was so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks. Ocean Bites Out Loud is supported by CFUV 101.9 FM at the University of Victoria and the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island.